0: How's it going, Jim?
1: It's cold and soggy today.
0: It is cold and soggy. I'm ready for spring. What the heck?
1: Uh, they said in July.
0: Is this, the farmers like this weather right now? No,
1: they're all angry.
0: Because they can't get in the field. Yeah,
1: they want to plant corn.
0: And they need to wait for it to be sunny and dry.
1: And not muddy, yes. Not muddy is the first step.
0: The corn is not in the ground yet.
1: No, it's still in the, yeah, it's in the planters. They're still in the shed and everybody's all antsy. And,
0: when are they going to do that?
1: Uh, when it quits raining.
0: I see. Okay.
1: Hi, I'm Dr. Jim Lowe.
0: And I'm Dr. Ashley Mai
1: And welcome to The Round Barn.
0: We have a guest here today. I'm looking at him.
1: I know it's our second guest. We're like, we're on a roll. I mean, we get people that agree to talk to us. I
0: can't believe it.
1: It's the sad part. We don't have to pay him, do we?
0: I don't know. I mean, I think I know. We could probably get him to appear. With, what, do you, what do you like to eat? You like beef. Probably a steak, like a good steak dinner. Some potatoes. Oh, so you're like a meat and potatoes guy. You're not a kale guy. No.
1: No. No kale.
0: I bet I could make him some crispy kale. I could convert him with my not. crispy kale. Coconut oil, crispy kale. Like, I'll get you. Don't you worry. That will be your payment for today.
1: So we are lucky. We, we have, are? Yeah, we have Dr. Ben Blair with us today. Woo! Hello, Ben. Hello. How are you? Ben, and he's like physically in the room. We're not even doing this virtually. Like, this is he's big here, time. Here, here. Yeah, I drove here
0: for this. Yes. Yeah, when, when our team texted me, hey, can you make time on Friday? I was like, well, I don't know. Like, probably not for Jim. And then they're like, well, Ben's here. And I was like, sure. I'm I, see where, I see where I'm I see where I'm coming. Right. So, so go, go for it. You introduce him.
1: Well, I don't know if I'm going to introduce him. Ben is Ben. This is true. So Ben is a veterinarian and Ben is an engineer and Ben has finished his PhD.
0: Ben's a lot of things.
1: Yeah, he's a lot of things and he's a farmer. So he's very nervous about planting corn.
0: You're a farmer too. I didn't know that.
1: Yeah. He's very nervous about that. But that's not what we're here to talk about today. We're here to talk about Ben's project. And, you know, we talk about disease in this a lot. I know you don't do disease, but I do disease. And so Ben did disease. I mean, not like personally, like we, you know, but he worked on pig disease, which is different than his own personal diseases. But he he worked on really trying to understand how we might move disease around in pigs in this country. So we've talked about ASF before.
0: African swine fever? Yep. Are you proud of me? I know that.
1: Yeah, it's, uh, you you got hope, Ash. You got hope. I know, Um, I'm
0: doing good here.
1: But, so, we talked about, we had this question, and we got uh, our friends at the Schick to fund us, so the Swine Health Information Center to fund us, and really answer the question, how might we move ASF around? Where are the spots? And so, that was a big chunk of Ben's thesis, And so I thought it'd be good if Ben would join us and talk a little bit about what we learned and maybe how we learned it. Because those are always adventures from grad school Uh, and how he co-opted people to do his work for him. So we can talk about that. And come to think of it, you know, if you really want to get Ben here, all you have to do is make him a rhubarb pie.
0: Oh, you like rhubarb? Big rhubarb fan. Okay. And this is, I vaguely remember some history book. This could be wrong. I'm really pulling here. Isn't rhubarb deadly if you eat it raw?
2: Like if you eat the leaves,
1: it's the, leaves. Eat the, the leaves. I yeah. think there was something. That's like toxicology their- class. Actually, that's not a issue. Which I also
0: probably didn't do yeah. great in. Okay. Um, okay, so rhubarb pie noted. Yes. You can't do that now. The problem is you don't want me to cook it because I just know how to cook frozen pizza, but I can get you one from the store for next time.
1: Yeah. Or we can hire one, mate.
0: Right. We could do that. Yeah. Is that in the budget? You're the boss man.
1: Uh, we'll I have to ask Holly. Okay. We can figure it out. Okay, so Ben, tell us tell us what you did. What was this uh, What was this whole investigation about?
2: Yeah, so what we want, like you said, uh, we wanted to look at different avenues that disease could spread in the swine industry, um, and really tap into some of those unknown avenues. Um, One being the marketing channels.
1: So what's a marketing channel? Because Ashley just gave me that look, like, what the hell?
2: Yeah, so a marketing channel would be I like how
0: he can read my face. Would be um, how we move
2: animals from either well from farm to a slaughter facility. So going from live to product.
1: So how does that happen for coal sales in the United States? Right? Well how does that happen to different cause we got different kinds of pigs we harvest, right? So we've got regular market pigs that we make pork chops out of. Yep.
2: So the regular market pigs are pretty simple. Most of those move direct, just straight from the farm, straight to their final destination, which is the slaughter plant.
1: And so, maybe we should help Ashley understand. So, how big are those pigs, and where? So, right. So, we got the, the industries. I think we should go back and just talk a little bit about Ben, the industry, and how complicated that industry is, because I think it's a hard thing to understand about why this particular bit. That you did work on was so bloody important because we don't know and it's complicated so right we raise most of the pigs in this country to let's just say 300 pounds about six months of age Yep. and those pigs and that's what we make pork chops and bacon out of by and large right and so those pigs go from the farm that they're raised on straight to the harvest plant and they go on one truck and life is simple life yep. life's simple so theoretically, we could wash that truck at the harvest plant before it comes back to the sow farm, blah, blah, blah. And we know that always doesn't happen. And That's like a prior life when we worked on that project. So we worked on that for a while. But you said, well, we've got these other, and so we've got these sows, these breeding animals that yep. go to market, but they don't go on the same channel. So let's talk about what that channel looks like.
2: So let's start with the term call sow. Um, so call sow would be, a female animal that was used for breeding who's reached the end of her reproductive life cycle. Um, And at that point, then she's put into the marketing channel. Um, So those animals vary in age and size and body condition. But because we don't sell large batches at one time, um, we tend to sell those to these intermediary points called collection
0: points. Why don't they just go straight to the slaughterhouse?
2: Um, mainly because if you look at the size of the average farm in the U.S. and you look at their, their, the rate at which they call sows, um, they don't have enough to fill a trailer. So economically, it's advantageous to send them to these collection points where they would aggregate sows from many different farms to generate a semi-load to then haul to a
1: slaughter plant or a harvest facility. So to put some, I mean, this is near and dear to me because I want my Jimmy Dean or my Bob Evans. I'm, this is not, I'm brand agnostic. I want my sausage with my with my eggs. I see. So we put about 100 cull breeding females, cull sows on a trailer. Yeah. Even a big farm in the United States might only sell 50 at a time. And so if we have to haul them, we like to haul them. We don't want to haul them very far if the truck's only half full. So, uh, right, everything in the U.S. is hauled on a semi, an 18-wheel semi. We can put 100 on there. And one more point in life, I believe everything in industry is built around how do we fill up a container, whatever that container is for transport. So whether that's a shipping container overseas or whether that's a um, trailer with animals on it, That's how the entire world seems to function. We've maximized or optimized shipping cost. Don't ask me why, but that's what we do. So it's this idea that we have to collect these things at a point, and so that creates a risk. So they go to the collection point, and then what happens?
2: Well, what was previously thought, or at least colloquially thought, was that they would go from collection point and then straight on to the harvest facility. And what we've actually found um, was that they – do sometimes move between different collection points or they may hang around that singular collection point for a little bit of time um, just so that they can get sorted into the right batches to go to certain plants based on the type of animal they're looking for for their product
0: so do you go to these for this research project did you go to these collection points with your big cup of coffee and just sit there and watch the different girl pigs come in and out and you're like oh that one stayed here a week this one stayed here a month how do you figure this
2: no out? we didn't um so it's a good question we didn't go to collection points so the collection point is kind of a a mystery to us at this point still to today um, we know they go there but the records within that middle part of that marketing channel are incomplete or
1: difficult to get a hands-on. The word you're looking for is (laughs) non-existent.
2: They're not all non-existent. Just some of them. So so what we actually did is we started at the end. And so one thing you need to know about these sows is they all are identified by what they call a premise ID tag. Okay. So those premise ID tags have a seven-digit unique code, which tells us where their farm of origin is
0: is this a tag on their ear
2: yep it's an ear tag so tag on their ear and And go go, so what we did is actually those tags are used by usda and APHIS um in conjunction with some samples they take for surveillance so they actually collected those tags and then we just recollected them from them
1: for this project so i think as to your question right so you're familiar with chipping dogs So, right, so if I've got that right, we put a little chip underneath their skin. And that chip is a radio frequency tag. It's a unique identifier for that dog. So we can trace the dog, right? So we could do the same thing. We do the same thing. And there's an electronic version of this tag. So it's exactly the same thing as we chip a dog with, except we put it in their ear on a tag because we don't want to put it under the skin because that's a meat problem. Because you that. don't
0: like having a microchip in your sausage anymore.
1: That's exactly. I don't eat microchips in my sausage. I, if I did, I would be very well identified.
0: Now, there for some reason, I what comes to mind is ear notching in pigs. They don't do that anymore.
1: Uh no, we stopped that. Wasn't large.
0: there some secret code? It was oh, like, it is a secret. Oh it yeah, like it's Morse a- code. Like a triangle is a two or something. I don't. Yeah, even know. no, no,
1: it's very good. No, we we don't do that. Um, because a, it's hard to read. It's not very specific, and it was never farm specific, so that was a way. And so, was, we've moved away from ear notching. Now uh, there's still some show pigs that are ear notched, but by and large, we don't notch pigs' ears. Uh, although humans seem to be notching and piercing and everything, else. so maybe we've just moved it on from people to pigs, I, to, from pigs to people. But so we've stopped the piercing activity in the pigs, and we just go with an ear tag now. And so this ear tag, and, and in pigs, we've historically not put a chip, not put an electronic chip, but we've just written the number down on their ear. So it's a piece of plastic that looks like an earring. It's an earring for pigs. And it's got this code on it that are assigned that you have to apply for, and every premise in the U.S. has one. So the, the state governments, and there's a national database, and yada, yada, yada. So we've got this unique identifier. And so the swine industry said, we're going to put it in every salveyor. That's one of the things we're going to do because we're going to have traceability. So we've talked a lot about disease on this podcast. And, right, this is one of the ways we said we could trace disease. So if we found disease, and Ben talked about that we have a surveillance for diseases at the packing plant. So one of the things we do to surveil disease is that we take samples from animals at slaughter, because it's super convenient, they're all at one spot, and make sure that they're free of disease. So all of our major diseases in the U.S., that's a key part of our surveillance. So Ben just said, "Hey, can we co-op this system to understand what's happening?" This was already going on. So uh, um, USDA, uh, APHIS Veterinary Services, who does all of our surveillance. It's a lot of acronyms. I just like use that. I must, I've been at the university too long. When you just start spewing acronyms is. and use it. so the Department of Agriculture and Veterinary Plant Animal Plant and Health Inspection Service and Veterinary Services APHIS. APHIS and Veterinary Services within that has this ongoing surveillance program. So Ben worked with some of our relationships, some of our colleagues there, and said, hey, we just send us those
0: tags. So do you, is it like Christmas, they arrive in a box, and you're like, oh, uh, 5,000 yeah. air tags. Does it smell like pigs when you Christmas open the box? Christmas is a strong
2: word. <laughs> um, it does because the tags aren't clean. Right. When we get them. So, it
1: doesn't smell like Christmas or pigs. It smells rotten. Yeah.
2: Okay. So these, pig, these tags would have been collected randomly out of, a, out of one of these plants. Um, they're all tagged they're in a bag that says that these come from plant A. Um,
1: on this date. Yeah,
2: on this date. And we get them. So that, but the tags are still covered in, there's some hair and there's some blood and feces. And then they just arrive. And then
1: in it, July.
2: Yeah, they would arrive in the middle of the summer to the university and whoever got them would call me right away and say, please come and get these. Because
0: it smells so bad. Yeah, the and,
2: and the box right would get soggy and kind of start falling oh. apart.
1: And You know, just think about a moving box, literally like a moving box full of <laughs> this, fermenting stuff.
0: Like on your um, holster? Because he seemed like the type of guy that has like, you know. You're a kind of a cowboy guy, right? You you probably have all the pocket knife on you right now, or something. Did you have like a bottle of Febreze?
2: I did not. No. <laughs> actually, actually, it's a good point, though. So we did drag in quite a few students because.
0: Oh no. I, I
2: didn't really want to do it, and we we're talking. We we're talking about collecting tags, we're not talking about a small number. I mean, we had nearly eighteen thousand ear tags we collected from seven different plants over six different months
0: Eighteen thousand. yeah that's a lot of ear tags and so
2: the first step in their process to help with the smell so they could stand it was you would take the tags and dump them in a box or a bucket that had bleach and then some kind of floor cleaner just to get the smell away
0: I
1: see. Notice again that I have no idea how this process worked. Because I was going to
0: say, well, I didn't I like used him to be, do that. I
1: used to be a graduate student, but mm, faculty doesn't don't do these also, kind of
2: projects. it was it was frowned upon to do this at the school, and so we did it in my front yard.
0: <laughs> so is all your grass dead?
2: Uh there is a dead spot in my lawn <laughs> to this day. Yes, that is true.
0: Awesome. It's
2: about a six-foot circle. Science.
0: Sacrifices you made for research. I love it. All right, so you wash these tags off, and then what do you do?
2: Well, so like I said, they all have that seven-digit ID.
0: And this seven-digit ID is unique to the facility. To the farm, yep. Not the pig.
2: Not the pig. Some of them them would have an additional identification number for the pig, um, but all we really cared about at this point, for the most part, were those farm
0: IDs. I see.
2: Um, then we also knew where they came from and we knew which day. So we just collected all that information off the tag, off of every tag, put it in a nice spreadsheet and then we figured out w- where those farms were located. So then we could tell where that pig started at and where it ended at. And so that was our first step in this whole process.
1: So what'd you learn? What was the big take on punchline?
2: Well, from that, from that bit, we learned these pigs do not enter these slaughter facilities from any kind of regional basis and what i mean by that um, so if you had a plant for let's say in illinois they don't just buy pigs from illinois they're buying pigs from 20 different states all over the us so this marketing channel this call cell marketing channel we determine that it is national as in that these pigs are moving large distances
1: To enter this facility. And why does that matter?
2: Well, because you think about in terms of disease, um, that means if we have disease in Oklahoma, we could move that disease over many states through these animals moving to these slaughter facilities.
0: So was this? uh, it sounds like this was an area of pig transit that was not fully understood before you took this project on.
2: Yeah, so I don't think there was any project, to my knowledge, at this scale or this topic prior to this. I mean, there was a lot of industry knowledge of like, eh, it might be scary, but let's not look at it. Um, so we kind of jumped into it.
1: I, I think that having been in the industry, it was, well, this is real scary. Let's not look at it.
2: Yeah. So we decided to look at it and kind of were the, the buzzkill at a lot of conferences for a while. We'd stand up on the stage and go, "Yeah, this is what, bad." What
0: did people say when you presented this stuff?
1: They
2: said they would. Say, oh, they would say, "Oh, we knew it was bad. We just no it was
1: this bad.'" So, what was the second half? Because the second oh, yeah. half of the project is it's where scary. the real bad news yeah,
0: happened. Yeah,
2: yeah. So, once we got the the premise IDs and we moved on, right? We go back to those individual sow IDs that were on some tags, and so we collected all those, and then we sent them to. Um, people who agreed to find those sows in their record. So we know what farms they belong to, right? And so we knew some of those farms. And we said, hey, would you be willing to tell us when you sold that sow off of your farm? And so we had about 6,000 of those sows then recorded a date that they sold those animals. Um, So we could see how long those sows were in that marketing channel from... The time they left the farm to the time they went to the slaughter plant.
0: Okay. I've got a lot of questions. <laughs> One is, okay, I'm an anesthesiologist.
2: Yes. Don't
0: do computers and data like your brain does because you're an engineer. You're, yeah. a, you're a unique creature, right? You're an engineer and you're a veterinarian and you're a farmer.
1: Unique's the most polite way to say unique, it. But yes, yeah, okay. I like that.
0: So... Can you just talk to me a little bit about how you take what was it fifteen thousand numbers, fifteen thousand tags? Yep. And then exactly how do you? Do you have some big Excel sheet? And then you tell the you tell it all. Okay, here here's this number, and this number was at this point this day. Like, what's the? There's a data part of this too. That's yeah. really interesting.
2: Yeah. So. Ultimately, we took the Excel sheet that had every animal that we collected from those ear tags, right? And we would have sorted that based on the farms we were going to send up to. So if you had a farm and we had pigs from your farm in our data set, we would sort that and send you those animals and say, hey, can you please give us a date that you sold these pigs? And so they they were nice and had somebody cross-reference their records for us and put those dates down. And then we knew which day they were slaughtered. So we could just simply then calculate, this is the date they left, this is the date they were slaughtered, they were in the channel for three days. I see. So nothing terribly crazy. It's just a lot of numbers.
0: Got it. Yeah, my, I can only imagine like scrolling up an Excel sheet.
1: Yeah, so I I mean, I think that's one of the interesting things. So we can chip dogs and, right, there's a national database and we can look up where those dogs are at at any time, right? And there's, I guess, a couple, three of them, right? But the idea being, I find a dog today and he's got a chip in him. Theoretically, I can figure out where he's from and who he is and all that stuff instantaneously. Well, that's not how animal ID works. And so it's state by state. So each of these premises are identified by state, it's highly confidential for a whole laundry list of reasons, right? You Why is
0: it confidential?
1: Well, we don't... If I own a premise, if you own a place, do you want you want me to know everything about your house on the public record?
0: Like, I mean, there's a lot of Cheerios on my floor right now. In okay. And, yeah. But
1: every time somebody comes and goes, do you want to know that? Because if we track these animals in and out, we're basically saying, who's coming and going from my house? And so... Rightfully so, producers aren't real keen on sharing that much information. And then the other important part of of the animal health program in the United States is in the United States itself, right? It's a we have a federal form of government. So the states are responsible for animal health by and large, and the federal government coordinates state activities. And so each of these processes are managed state by state, not at a national level. And so – Most of what Ben did was just brute force. There wasn't a tremendous amount of fancy math. There was a tremendous amount of looking stuff up and calling people and just doing the kind of dogged groundwork to figure out where we're at. Now, could this all be automated? I think both of us would say absolutely. If we put the chip in the ear like we put in the back of a dog and we put scanners in and out of all these locations, we could have done this in – Five minutes, and I'm not exaggerating. Uh,
2: much higher levels, right? Yes, much, much more animals.
1: Many more animals, a lot more accuracy, no time. But it was, I think, this is less of a data project and more of a just brute force wrangle the information out. And it's sitting back, right? We're working a lot on disease preparedness for African swine fever, et cetera, et cetera. And this is one of the real challenges. And I think. Is We're working on disease preparedness, and there's a thing going, the U.S. Swine Health Improvement Program that we're working on right now to say how do we create supply chains that we can certify are free of African swine fever for export purposes? How do we put standardized biosecurity across all of the premises in the U.S., and how do we make sure that we're working with our federal partners? And that's, a again, a USDA, a federal, state, Producer organization together, sanctioned by USDA. But I think the take home out of Ben's project was the group looked at that and said, Well, we're going to ignore the coal south thing for now. "Eh, It's too complicated.
0: Even after you did your project. Yeah. Even after. Yeah. I would have thought it would have been the inspiration for future interventions or. It was
2: like how we said previously, we've said that. Before we did this project, people said, oh, I know that's real bad, so we're going to ignore it. Or we don't want to think about it. Now they're like, oh, we know it's real bad, so let's not think about it.
1: And and I think we're going to get there in ship. It's just such a complicated booger that it's going to take – it'll be generation two of ship before we get there. We've got enough other things we need to clean up. But the coal south thing is everybody's like, this is a disaster. We don't know how to fix it.
0: If you could – fix this issue how would you fix it can you fix it
1: technology this is the classic example of a technology solution
2: it's a very complex problem right because simplistically you can say well you're moving pigs around disease just limit where they can move but that does a huge damage to the economics of the swine industry as a whole right because the selling and, and marketing and slaughter of these call cells is still a decent percentage of the revenue generated by these farms. And so you really don't want to get into all that regulation limiting where these animals move. And so, yeah, you use technology to do more traceability in this, in this space to say, okay, if something happens, at least we know where everything is, right?
1: So lots of opportunity.
0: Yeah, sounds like it. Sounds like you—you you were brave enough to look under a stone. Nobody had looked under before. There's a bunch of ants under that, that one. If there's it was o- if
1: it was only ants, we'd be happy. <laughs> so, what's the next step, Ben? What's the? Because you did some other things.
2: Yep. And so, there's a few things, right? Um, and so, one thing that we that I wanted to look at was. The unintended unintended consequences that this market could have during um, like a regional closure of the market. So let's say we broke with ASF tomorrow in a region. And they said, let's close Oklahoma, Oklahoma can't move pigs anymore. The thought was, well, what does that do to the movement that we see today? How would that all change, right? Because we can't buy pigs in Oklahoma. Those pigs come from elsewhere. Where do they move? And so, yeah, the second part of this whole project was really trying to understand those trade dynamics um, and say, if you remove a supply out of the system, how does that shift trade between state populations and then those slaughter plants?
1: And what was the punchline? If I close Oklahoma or I close Illinois or I close whatever, what was the punchline? Yeah, so
2: there's, there's two big factors on, depending on who you close, right? And the two big keys are, how big a population is it and how far away is that population from the center of the industry? And by the center of the industry, I mean like the mass center, which is actually somewhere near okay. Indianapolis. Okay, so for
1: the rest of us that are not engineers.
2: Yeah. So, so mass center would be like if you just pick the spot in the middle of the map where all the pigs lived, and you said this is about where the center is. Okay. It's about Indianapolis. It's about 30 miles away from okay. Indianapolis.
1: Okay, Ben, I'm going to summarize this for, for those of us that are like not engineers. It sucks more. It's not a suck less program. So we often think about like how do we do things? Is it suck more, or suck less? I think the interesting bit out of this, and there's some fancy math behind it. I'm not trying to ruin your fancy math, but the fancy math behind all this says if we close the state, we actually make it worse. So our core intervention for a disease outbreak is a stop movement in a region. And the second phase of the study says if we have a stop movement in a region, we actually disrupt all the normal trade pattern, and
0: it gets worse. Ah, that's interesting.
2: Worse being unknown, right? We have, although this this is a transient system currently, right? We change every day; it's dynamic. It's roughly the same every day. Mm-hmm. If we change something, like stopping a region, things just scatter, and then it's all of a sudden a completely unknown thing again, and we have no idea what's going on.
0: Isn't that fascinating?
1: So it's terrifying. Lots more to do. Lots more to do.
0: Yeah. What's your next project going to be? He's going to like defend it.
1: his thesis. Woo! I'm never going to defend his What's that?
0: it like having Jim? Is he your boss? Was he your boss? Ad,
1: advisor. Graduate advisor. 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 What's
0: yeah. it like having Jim be your advisor? It's is it rough?
1: The worst five years of my life. <laughs> the, the running joke is, and then we better wrap this up. We'll get sent, Does FCC? Can I don't they, know. Will I, they
0: censor us? Just say I don't know. it. I don't it's don't know. fine
1: you know, Ben didn't drink any alcohol until he was my grad student. (laughs) That's one of my proudest accomplishments, I think. Maybe Uh, not. I don't know.
0: Well, I appreciate you because uh, I don't have, uh, I don't really like statistics, but I had to do some statistics stuff. And Ben had an office not very far from me a few years ago. And so I'd have to go knock on his door and you get it done. I, I, I ask him my crazy stats questions, which I thought we were going to take forever to solve. And he's like, Ashley, you just go do this. <laughs> so thank you for helping me when I was having my bad days. So.
1: Well, Ben, thanks for joining us. Yep, Thanks for having me. Ashley.
0: Yeah. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Till next time. Until next time. See Bye. Ya. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed listening and we'd love to hear from you too. Find us on Twitter. Our handle is at the round barn one. We may even share your comments on our next show. Please subscribe and tell your friends about the show. It's available on iTunes or the podcatcher of your choice. One last thing. We also offer a wide range of learning opportunities for folks who work with livestock and veterinarians too. You can learn more at online.vetmed.illinois.edu. See you soon.